Welcome, listeners, to www.ironradio.org, the website and podcast for all things strength sports and sports nutrition. With your hosts, Lonnie Lowry. Remember, Phil is like a gnarled old oak tree held together with scar tissue and bone spurs. Rob Fortney. And I'm telling you, the pain that I would suffer was beyond excruciating. And Phil Stevens. Do it, Rob. You'll kill all those nerves. Thanks for listening. Welcome, IronRadio.org listeners. This is Lonnie Lowry. I'm an exercise physiology and sports nutrition professor of about 15 years, and I'm a former competitive bodybuilder. And this is Phil Stevens. I'm a coach. I run Strength Guild. I also run the Barbell Open and the USSF and a bunch of other things. So I'm a competitive powerlifter, Highland Games athlete, and uh, just uh, I used to do strongman. I've done it all. So. Uh, this is Dr. Mike T. Nelson. I teach for Globe University, run my own business, Extreme Human Performance, LLC, and I'm in Helena, Montana this morning. And with us today is my buddy Mark Rogers. Say hello. I'm here, and, and I am uh, I'm so happy to be here. Thank you so much for having me. I am the, the owner of uh, Simply Human, LLC, which is a health and wellness consulting company. I'm a certified strength coach. Um, and I, I run a nonprofit with my wife and we, we just, we do lots of, I'm in a barbershop quartet. Wow. Uh, oh, I, I didn't know that. I, 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 it's like the most nerdy thing of all time. Uh, I, I'm a man of, of many, of many things. I'm not go- really good at one thing. I'm average at a lot of stuff. I'm always envious of guys that have a, have a good voice. It's almost ironic. I don't think I've ever mentioned this to listeners, but here, you know, being into podcasting, I actually have a paralyzed vocal cord. And so they actually said they could even re reinnervate it. But I'm like, what? Now I'm going to sound like James Earl Jones or something. You know what I yeah. mean? I, I yeah. don't want a different voice coming out of my out of my. Yeah, mouth. nobody nobody know who you are. Like, who the hell's this new guy on the yeah. show? Or like, you, you like park in the handy you park in the handicap spot, and they're like, "What are you doing?" You're like, "Oh, I have a paralyzed vocal cord." There, there it is. Uh, there it is. I can paralyze. Yeah. Anyway, yes, but the point is, yeah, I lose my voice, and it, I don't have a real, real strong voice. But anyway, so good on you for that. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I have one bit of news and one bit of listener mail. Let me just share this quickly. This first one, I just feel like I would be remiss if I didn't at least point it out a little bit. It looks like type 2 diabetes may have been cured. Uh, this <gasps> That sounds kind of stunning. Uh, but in, this sounds is, very stunning. <laughs> well, and let's face it. I mean, this is... Um, there are some caveats. There always are with science, right? Only in this and in this and this. But let me let me just share this with you because this was from Nature Medicine. This is 2016. Strength and Muscle Sport News. Um, really top-tier medical journal by uh, Jared Scarlett and colleagues. It says, central injection of fibroblast growth factor 1 induces sustained remission of diabetic hyperglycemia in rodents. So this is an animal study right now, but uh, let me just share a little bit. Type 2 diabetes is among the most common and costly disorders worldwide. I think we know that. I mean, low-carb diets are very popular with segments of the fitness community, and I think for good reason. Um, anyway, the goal of current medical management for type 2 diabetes is to transiently ameliorate the hyperglycemia through daily dosing of one or more drugs. So in other words, get that blood sugar down, you know, into a normal range, however necessary. Um, but they are looking for sustained disease remission. 
Uh, now, if, if you don't think type 2 diabetes and carb handling is a problem, one in four people in the United States right now are pre-diabetic. So they're on their way to type 2 diabetes. That's a ridiculous number. I mean, think about it as you walk around during the day, you go to the store or something. One, two, three, four. Oh, he's probably got it. One, two, three, four. Yep, she's got it too. So these guys are pre-diabetic, but again, type full-blown type 2 diabetes is also growing hugely. Anyway... It says, we explored the anti-diabetic efficacy of centrally administered FGF1. So bodybuilders might be familiar with IGF1. It's a common performance-enhancing drug. They stack it with growth hormone and anabolic steroids and that sort of thing. But FGF1, it, it, of course, it's a little bit different. It says, we report that a single intracerebroventricular injection. Well, that's a mouthful. but wow. th- And again, that's one of the caveats here. This is directly injected into the rodent's brains. Now, before you say, well, automatically not applicable, make no mistake. If something's going to cause type 2 diabetes to go away and stay away, yeah. they'll, they'll come up with nasal gels. They will find a way to do this. Um, anyway, we report a single, uh, basically, intracerebral injection of FGF1 at a dose one-tenth of that needed for anti-diabetic efficacy following peripheral injection induces sustained diabetes remission in both mouse and rat models of diabetes. So uh, they don't even know why exactly. They're trying to tease apart the mechanism, but people are falling over themselves to figure out uh, how this works. So I heard uh, through the grapevine that they're already looking at this in people uh, because I I can't, at least I'm no expert on FGF1. I don't know if Dr. Nelson wants to chime in, but I don't see any huge, like, really scary side effects necessarily um other than the idea that it's getting administered pretty much straight to your brain but um yeah uh it says uh, sustained diabetes remission in both animal models they've tried so far so wow anyway so there's that and then this next one i want emotionally mike to chime in on but all of you guys of course uh, can and the reason I say mostly Mike is because it was an engineering background, but we got a mail from uh, Hamid Lekik, and I hope I'm pronouncing your name right, dude. But apparently, it's, he he sends to me this email. Apparently, it scans the chemical composition of foods to give you information about its makeup, including calories and nutrients. Seems like BS to me. What do you guys think? So he sent me the link to consumerphysics.com and the Sio Pocket Molecular Sensor. So there is a scanner, and I'm familiar with this because I've seen students give presentations on this. Uh, here's the little ad for it. It says, SIO, explore more, a pocket molecular sensor for all. Uh, scan materials or physical objects, get instant relevant information on your smartphone, food, medicine, and more. And if you uh, look at some of the descriptor, it says, SIO is the world's first affordable molecular sensor that fits in the palm of your hand. SIO is a tiny spectrometer and allows you to get instant relevant information about the chemical makeup of the materials around you sent directly to your smartphone. Um, Now, I think the main thing that I want to point out that I was mentioning before we hit the record button is that spectroscopy is a real thing. It's something that's very important uh, in identifying different elements, right? And identifying like the chemical composition of things. Now, whether or not you can just have a handheld device and it it bounces light off your food and it can do it, that's way simplified compared to what I'm familiar with with spectroscopy. But uh, Dr. Nelson, what do you think about this SIO thing? Do you think we're at a point this is going to work? 
I don't know. I'd like to see it. Like you were saying that I think the hardest part right now is just trying to get it into a, a smaller unit that can be portable. Um, when I worked for a med- medical technology company and cardiovascular stuff, one of the jobs I did there was looking at competitors' products. So I would kind of order them, and we had a whole lab that had everything from spectroscopy. They could outsource all sorts of stuff. And so there's a bunch of different things we try to do for you know non-destructive testing, as they called it, to figure out you know what components were on each part of it. And they could even tell with like spectroscopy and other methods what type of coating may have been put on different things, even though it's just very, very, very small. So in theory, it's it's possible. I'd, I'd like to see it, but I don't know if they can get it affordable and down to a smaller size would be my only question. I have been hearing on Science Friday that the the micro miniaturization of a lot of different pieces of lab equipment is a rapidly evolving field. So it is, oh, yeah. you know, micro circuitry and all that. It, it's like a thing, and they are doing amazing stuff with it. Mm-hmm. Um, the only thing that I'm wondering about, and again, I haven't looked into this enough, but um, presumably you'd have to still measure your food or something. I mean, it might be able to give you what elements are there or maybe the proportions. But I don't see how it's going to get the mass of the food. Like if you want the grams of protein, you know what I mean? It almost would be like you have to, you'd have to input some other things on your phone. That's not necessarily hard, I don't think, if you have the serving size provided you. But um, yeah, I think in theory, if you can get something to, I know they've been doing other stuff with like photos, trying to get volumetrics, so how big it is. You get that in the chemical composition, you're probably pretty close. Oh, well, see, okay, maybe you don't even need that then. Yeah. That's a guess. I don't know. I haven't looked at the system, but... It uh, sounded good. Get it that way. Mm-hmm. I would suggest... Yeah, I did. <laughs> I'm, buy, I'm buying. Uh, I think it's one of those things keep an eye on, but it may be more real than you think. Because at first glance, I'm going to agree with that email, right? It seems like BS. seems yeah. like an exaggeration, but with, with all this development in you know, creating incredibly tiny microcircuitry type lab equipment. Um, I don't know. Uh, I would suggest people look into it. I mean, that's one incredibly handy thing. I mean, you already have a, a myriad of fitness apps on your phone. Imagine if they could get to the point where it's just a little add-on to your phone or something and you could just, I mean, wow. I don't know. could be pretty yeah, amazing. The, the, the technology, the, the way it's going, I, uh, I listened to a, I was at a, a talk that the CEO of VMware gave uh, a few weeks ago and here in, where, in the city where I live. And he was saying in the next 10 to 15 years, like this will be a, a scenario of what happens. So you set your phone or your smart device, wherever it is, by your bed and you go to sleep. During the night, let's say you have like a heart palpitation, you have some sort of deal that's going on with your heart, for instance. In the morning, your alarm, will, your phone wakes you up at seven o'clock, but you set the alarm for eight o'clock. It wakes you up at seven o'clock and notifies you that you have a doctor's appointment at seven forty-five at Medical City downtown. It's it's already sent an email to your work telling oh, wow. telling them that you're going to be late and that you and that and the doctor's office already has your medical records and you like let's go. You've got an appointment at seven forty-five at the cardiologist. Mm-hmm. Like what? That's the actually heck? not even that that far off. Like, yeah. Yeah. yeah cardiovascular company we had implantable pacemakers and defibrillators and they would do that they would literally interrogate or talk to the device at night they'd run it through the phone line and if something was off they would send the physician uh, notification on their computer 
They can even have the physician possibly even paid, depending on how you have it set up in different configurations, to say that, oh, Mrs. Jones just had blah, 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 you know, heart rhythm that happened. Um, and that's been going on for a couple of years already. So it's just not that far off at all, yeah, just adding yeah. a few things. Yeah, just imagine Siri waking you up with a voice. <laughs> Good morning, you're having a heart attack. Good right. morning, you're having a heart attack. Like, oh, that's great. This is wonderful. Get the hell out of bed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, on one level, I almost don't want my, my whole day dictated by my phone. But, I mean, if, right. it's, if it's because I'm in VTAC, okay, maybe, maybe I'll listen to my phone. I don't know. Anyway. Okay. Well, I, th- that's all I've got for the, the news in the mail. So uh, let's get to Mark. Uh, usually we just start with your origin story, you know, how yeah. you get into fitness and all that sort of thing. Yeah, so I uh, grew up playing sports. Uh, in high school, I played uh, football and basketball, and then I went on to play, well, uh, full disclosure, I practiced football at a, in college, uh, didn't, didn't play much, um, but, I, but I had that background. Um, and then I went through, after I got done playing, I went through about a almost a decade of long distance endurance races mm-hmm. and I did an Ironman and several half Ironmans and marathons and, and, and all sorts of different races like that and and I'm the kind of guy where I, I like to experiment with different things so I you know I'm going to do this programming for a month see what happens I'm going to try this nutritional I, I did the, you know I've done strict zone paleo vegan um uh, the four any the four hour body. There was a time that I only ate foods that were mentioned in the book Born to Run. Uh, you know, like I, I just just to see, and I'm testing blood sugar, and I'm just like just curious to see what you know how it's going to work. And uh, after about eight years of that, I I started I where I couldn't even like mow my grass without just feeling like I had just you know like run a run an 800 meter you know as fast as I could or something like I. I, uh, my heart rate would go into like the one nineties within like two minutes of, of a workout. Um, and it was kind of a scary deal, like where I didn't know kind of what was going on. So which is kind of stupid looking back, like, of course, like, yeah, what's going on is that you're, you're running yourself literally like running yourself into the ground. So, uh, I took, I took two months off and just sort of reassessed my, my movement patterns. Uh, and that's, that's when simply human was born uh, it also coincided with the time that my wife just happened to be in the hospital on bed rest for like 90 days um, with our with our third child and everything's fine and all that. But um, so it was like sort of this okay reevaluating like what I've been doing uh, on the health and wellness side of things, and and I created Simply Human out of this idea that we've just overcomplicated things. Like we you know our ancestors didn't have to weigh food and and count calories and take all this medicine and do all these things like they just you know we, we've just technology is is amazing in uh in business and commerce and in you know serious medical intervention you know like if you get your arm cut off like they could like they could sew it back on it's crazy you know so um but but i think technology and, and innovation in the health and wellness realm sort of at its core can can get us away from our design. So, so I really I really have looked into the last three years. How are humans designed to eat? How are humans designed to sleep? How are humans designed to move? And how are humans designed to to manage stress? Or the way that I put that on my on my 
podcast is enjoy life. So those are the four pillars of the simply human lifestyle, and that's not anything groundbreaking or new. I mean, that's I think a lot of a lot of folks would agree with that as far as sort of the overall wellness side of things. And if you're not doing, you know, if, if you're if you're eating great, but you're getting three hours of sleep a night, like it's not you're not going to be the healthiest version of yourself that you can that you can be. If you're if you're getting twelve hours of sleep a night and you're eating pizza for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Yeah, you know, like it's all four of those things have to have to be working together for you to, to be as healthy as you can be and for you to, you know, to to live a long, sustained life full of vitality. So I work with people here locally. I work with people uh, online. I've got we've, the Simple Human podcast is is up to 131 episodes and uh, and, and really that the, and just another full disclosure uh, statement. We we have we do like an hour show. Half of it is what we consider you know quality content. The other half is just basically just goofing around uh, and and doing funny bits. And we prank called my dad one you know, over the course of a month, asking for the wrong name, and finally got him to explode and drop an f bomb. Uh, you know, like that those kinds of things. And that's that goes in that's in line with our enjoy life pillar. Uh, is that sometimes you just need to laugh and sometimes you just, you, you know, try not to take yourself too seriously, uh, in, in that kind of deal. So, so that's what's going on. We've, my wife is a, has got her master's in counseling and human development. So we've, we've gone around and done talks on how to, you know, okay, you've got kids. How can we implement some of these, uh, lifestyle factors and behaviors into a household with young kids and how the challenges faced with, with parents and things like that. So I will say, one thing not to do, and this is this is fresh in my mind. I went to see The Conjuring Two last night. Anyone uh, seen the previews for this? I didn't know that was out. It's it's out. It's it's like the like demon, hell, murder, scariest movie of all. You know, and there was a there was there was parents there with like a two year old. At the at this theater, and I just you know I've got small kids, and I was just like I just I couldn't you didn't even. Bring your kids, did you? Uh, no, I did not. I actually, <laughs> actually paid I actually paid the guy twenty dollars to take the kids out of the theater, and he was like, "Yeah, sure," and he took it and left. And uh, <laughs> I was like, "Okay, now I can now I can enjoy the movie." But yeah, side note, but yeah, so there's <laughs> there's a uh, that happened last night. So um, that that's a little bit about me. I've got my strength code certification. Uh, I work. Uh, with some of the the athletes, uh, Abilene Christian University is a Division One school here in town, and I've worked with some of the I worked with their women's basketball program on their nutrition and on their sleep, and we do uh, mindfulness uh, training and things like that. I've, uh, uh, and then I work with the football guys on their mobility and uh, and their their nutrition and stuff. So that's uh, that's me. Cool. And for people listening, what town are you in? I'm in Abilene, Texas. So we're about two and a half hours west, due west of Dallas, Fort Worth. Uh, and I grew up in the North Dallas area, which is why I'm a, a Cowboys fan. And then uh, came out here to play football in 1999, and I've and I've never left. And uh, it's 120,000 people. There's no, there's never any traffic across town. Is you know, 10 minutes. Um, so, uh, li- lifestyle is, is good here. Uh, and we, you're close enough to, to big cities, you know, that if you want to go mess with all that traffic and stuff, you can, you can drive, but we, we love it out here. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, Cause we met up in Austin many times and I've been down there. So it's, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's like three hours to Austin. My in-laws are down there. Like it's great to go visit and then you get to go home and not have to deal with all the craziness of Austin. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
and no Uber, but anyway. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Well, thank you for your background there, and uh, we're going to take a little break here, and coming up we're going to talk to you about how to create and keep good habits, including intelligent program design. Hey listeners, this is Dr. Lonnie Lowry. If you've ever had anyone critique you uh, on your protein intake as part of your weightlifting lifestyle, oh, you poor meathead, all that extra protein is going to rot your kidneys or weaken your bones or dehydrate you or give you gout or who knows what, Uh, there is a book available. You could simply Google CRC Press and Lowry. And what I've done is reach out to experts all over the world and create a book, a single compendium that you can hold up and say, this is why I consume extra protein. This can be very valuable when you're um, being quote-unquote educated uh, by various professionals on the topic. Uh, There's enormous amount of literature in this book on the safety, uh, the effectiveness, how protein works in cells, the history of protein and weight trainers, uh, much more. So again, please check out CRC Press and Protein and Lowry. You can just Google that, and uh, I do, full disclosure, I do make a small single-digit royalty on the book, but that's not why I did it. I did it so we can all have something, uh, our particular population, uh, to both defend what we do and to inform our nutrition and our eating. Thanks. Hi, this is Dr. Lonnie Lowry, and on behalf of Phil and Rob, I'd just like to let listeners know that if you love us or you hate us, we'd like you to leave a comment or perhaps vote for us on iTunes. It helps us out quite a bit on the popularity side of things. Uh, you can also follow uh, Dr. Lowry, me, on Twitter. Uh, it's Lawnman7 on Twitter if you want to do that. We also have a Facebook page, the Iron Radio uh, listeners page. So – Uh, Whether it's leaving a comment or voting for us or following us on Twitter or Facebook, uh, that would be fantastic. Also, uh, occasionally Rob or myself will write an article for another website and Phil will as well. So lots of ways to um, interact, uh, follow us in other media and vote for us and uh, keep things going strong on Iron Radio. Thanks. your weekly fix of iron radio in addition to being a popular institute on itunes we are also on email simply go to www.ironradio.org and sign up for the voluntary email you'll get a once per week email no more that's little more than the show notes and a link to the audio so go for it guys, welcome back to Iron Radio. This is Mike T. Nelson here with Dr. Lonnie Lowry, Coach Phil Stevens, and today we're talking to my buddy Mark Rogers about how to create and keep good habits, including intelligent program design. So not just program design, but how to keep a good program. Um, so why do you think, and this is a little bit more of a basic question, Mark, but why do you think the focus on good habits is so important? And this is something our listeners are probably pretty familiar with, but I think it always bears a little repeating too. Yeah, I, you know, it, it doesn't matter um, 
you know, how intentional you are, or, you know, you read an article in a magazine and you think, yeah, I want to do that. If, if you don't have the framework, the, the, you know, the, in your brain to do those things, like it, it just, it's not going to work. So it all starts with uh, belief that you can do something and then, and then your behavior has to change in order for, for anything to change. So it, you know, if, if it doesn't matter, like, oh, you know, I'm going to, I want to lose uh, you know, 10 pounds of fat or I want to build 20 pounds of muscle. Okay, great. Like implementing that strategy has to be done with your behavior and that comes down to habits. And, and really like, a good way to think of habits is, uh, is, is kind of like the, it's a behavior that's easier to do than not do. You know, so like uh, you think of things that you don't even have to think about, you know, which, which uh, shoe you tie first. When you brush your teeth, you can think about something else because you've done it so many times. Like there's a there's a part of your brain called the basal ganglia that kind of that that controls all of those automatic things. You're breathing, you're blinking, uh, things like that. So when you walk to your car and you pull your keys out and you and you click the little unlock button, like that's you don't have to think about that. You know that's why it's always uh, you know you get to work and you think oh, did, I, did I close the garage or did I did I turn the oven off? Or, you know, like you have those things because like you're just so programmed to do those. Right. You, you shut the garage every day. You don't have to think about it. So then it's not, it's not this, that's why like, you know, if you whistle a song or if like you, you make up a little funny rhyme or something while you're doing it, then you'll remember it because you're intentional about it. So, right. um, you know, and the other, you know, one thing that people always ask when, when I'm on this subject is, well, okay, well how long does it take to, to, to form a habit? And I always answer that question with a question. And I say, who cares? Like, what does it matter if it takes, you know, some studies saying it takes 18 days, other studies as high as 254 days. But if your goal, if your, if your goal is to, is to, I want to walk every day because walking is a, is something that's a healthy thing for me, or I want to drink more water. You know, a lot of times you're not going to, I had one friend in college that like forced himself to dip. And to like get addicted to dip and like, what the heck, you know, what an idiot, you know? And like most of the times, if you're trying to create new behaviors, it's, it's healthy things. You know, you think, think of new year's resolutions and, and you know, it's something that you want to sustain. So if it's something that you want to continue doing for the long haul, like just do it. And who cares how long it takes? You know, it's not like you're going to get to the day 60 and okay, okay, now it's a habit. So, okay, well now what day 61, you're going to, you're going to do the same thing. So why, who cares like when the habit was formed? Um, and so, uh, you know, habits are, well, I guess I'll just, I'll, I'll end the, the question there and then we can, we can move on. I could just, I could go on for an hour on this stuff, but yeah, I think you brought up a good point that the whole, and I haven't finished this article yet, but the whole, Oh, it's 21 days to change a habit. <laughs> right. I'm like, really? Is that simple? I, there's yeah, there's some data to show that it's short, and like you said, there's some data to show that it's pretty long. But I think it's well, you know, what are you trying to change, and all those things that go into it. Exactly what you said that. Well, if I told you it's 13 days or four months, if it's something you wanted to do, you still have to move in that direction. So right, yeah, and it's like okay, you're, you're gonna your goal is to not eat pizza for 21 days, and after 21 days. What, like day 22, like, okay, I really want to eat pizza, so it didn't work, so I guess I'm just going to eat pizza all, you know, for right. the rest of my life for breakfast. You know, like, but like, I just, I don't like that, putting that sort of finite 
you know, deal on it. Now it can definitely line. help. Yeah. Yeah. You know, Mark, actually my wife's a counselor, so I'm in a similar situation to you. Maybe everything we talk about, eventually we remind ourselves is biopsychosocial, you know? Right. So from a bio perspective, I look at this and I, I, I know Dr. Nelson's more versed in this than I am, but neuroplasticity and, and that sort of thing, right? You just start laying down these neural pathways. I mean, right. Think, think how fairly complicated just tying your shoe is. And people can do that without a second thought, you yeah. know, because that motor pattern is just so ingrained. And I look at the, like, you know, you keep firing this series of neurons and eventually those connections get stronger and eventually they literally become physically stronger, Thicker. larger, yeah, yeah. you know, and to think that that's going to happen a day by day 21 or not at all, <laughs> you know, and then nothing can happen after that. I look at it, you know what I mean? Like just like building muscle or any kind of nervous adaptation you try to get through training, except you're focusing, focusing on, on habits. And I, that's clever, right? Because yeah. people train themselves in certain directions to become almost automatic at certain things i guess right and 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 then you get into the whole willpower versus you know motivation deal and so um to me like our ancestors didn't have to use willpower to to be healthy they just their environment just forced them to do to walk a lot and to lift heavy things and to you know go to bed when it got dark and you know and, and so nowadays we've created all these things around us that force us to use willpower to, to do like healthy things. And that's why, you know, like the new year's resolutions are so like such a high failure rate because people like try to do too much. Like, you know, new year's resolution is going to, you know, to be to run every day, like three miles every day. And that's just, you know, if you hate running, like that's not a, a sustainable thing. It's like, you, you know, that's another thing we could talk about in a minute if, if we want. It's like the doing this, doing small things to build up those neural pathways. Um, because if you just try to do the big things right out of the gate, like it's like you, your brain's just going to go. You know, your motivation isn't going to be very high. So if you look at like a the motivation willpower chart, you know, it's got like a negative relationship. So if motivation's on like the y axis and willpower's on the x axis. It's things that have very little take very little willpower. Like if I asked all the listeners right now, like take your right finger and touch your nose, right? Like there's no reward for doing that, but like you you did it, right? Like you use willpower, very little willpower. So there's there's not a, a high motivation cost, right? So things that that require a ton of motivation or a ton of willpower, that line starts up. You know, it, it's a it's a downward sloping line on that axis. So things that that take a ton of willpower, big changes, it the the motivation is very low on that because you know it's just like I you know if your goal is to run a marathon every day, you know like that second day after the first marathon you're gonna you know it's an extreme example of course, but like you you take that first step and you're like you know what I don't want to run a marathon today. This is too that's too much. I don't have to use too much willpower. To put one foot in front of the other, so eventually, if you can, if you can use willpower to to do the things that to create those new behaviors, to make your bed every day, for instance, um, or, or to drink, you know, however much water you're going to drink, or to work out, you know, however minutes you're going to work out, or whatever it is, eventually, those it, it goes out of your prefrontal cortex of, the, of your brain where you're having to use willpower. And it moves down into that basal ganglia that I mentioned earlier and what you were talking about, those neural connections 
get stronger, they get thicker, and and then you you stop thinking about those things, and then eventually you don't have to use willpower or motivation to do those things that you're always doing. I mean, just think, you know, everybody can just sit and think about all the different things that they do like mindlessly. You know, like you, you walk to a closed door. If you had to, if you had to, like really be conscious about how to open that door. Think about how exhausted you would be at the end of the day. You know, like, okay, I'm standing here. Okay, I got to take my hand. I got my arm out. I got to grab the the uh, the knob. Okay, now I've got to turn it to the right. So I've got to squeeze it. Thing, you know, like it's just there's all those things just get moved out of our of our our new brain, like the prefrontal cortex, and down into that that uh, you know, the, the 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 primitive brain. Um, and so uh, the other thing about willpower is that it's a finite resource. I mean, I don't know how many studies have shown that that's why you wake up every morning. You're like, all right, this is a new day. I'm going to do this. I'm going to, I'm going to eat good. I'm going to work out. I'm going to go to bed on time. I'm going to do all this stuff. I made my bed. I do all this stuff. And then at the end of the day, especially if you've had a very stressful day where you're, you're having to make decisions and, and use willpower, you know, to, to work and you're in stressful situations and you're in, you're stuck in traffic and the kids are driving you crazy and all this stuff. And they get to the end of the day and then people think like people just start eating whatever they want or they, and they don't do their workout and they don't go to bed on time. It's like, because your willpower is all gone, right? So if you can get to the, where those things don't exhaust your willpower resource, then you're going to have a lot more of it left to do the other things that, that you want to do. Right. Hey, if I can, uh, can I revisit the goals thing? Because you mentioned goals a few times, and yeah, uh, that's something that I've given a lot of thought lately. Is the original goal is so important, so critically important, and I think the habits start to almost like self reinforce this. Like if if I want to bench three sixty five or four oh five or whatever the goal is, first I need some, I need some experienced help in setting that goal. It's not too lofty. It's not too easy, that kind of thing. And I think that's where a lot of the strength coaches come to play. And I'm sure Phil does that on a daily basis, you know. But that's what drives you. That is so incredibly important because we get so detailed into the nuances, right, of cyclical ketogenic diets or undulating periodization. And sometimes you almost got to pull back the scope. And if that original goal is very powerful for you, you know what I mean? It, it yeah. sometimes you get lost in the minutia, and you're like, "Wait, what was this all about? You know, why was I so desperate to bench 405? You know, something like that." Yeah, and and you know, and there's this this sort of conflict between wanting to set those lofty goals, and like you said, having having some consultation or coaching where you're not, you know, I'm going to bench seven thousand pounds. You know, like okay, <laughs> right. I don't think that's going to work. Like, hey, you and can for try the record, for the record. I'm nowhere near benching 405. It just tossed it out there. Yeah. Um, And so I think, so you've got, so that's good. So you need to set these lofty goals. And, but then on the other hand, to get there, like you said, like you're going to bench 405, your, your path to 405 starts with, you know, doing a set of, you know, 185, 10 times, you know, like it's, it's a, it's a small, so, so step one is the belief that you can do something, right? Because if you don't believe you can stop smoking, if you don't believe you can bench 405, if you don't believe you can, you know, meditate every day for, you know, 60 days, whatever it is, it, there's no, you have no chance of success. Step two is to, is to change your environment, right? So, you know, if your goal is to bench 405, your, your environment needs to be set up to facilitate that goal. So, you, you know, you don't need to be, uh, 
partying every night till 3 a.m. You don't need to, you know, like the, your diet needs to be uh, different. It needs to be, you know, good. It need, you know, there's all these things you need to do. You need to work out however many times you need a program in place. So you, the things that are around you need to need to, you know, be set up to facilitate achieving your goal. And then it starts small. Um, you know, we're not, you, you know, you don't want to just, you know, my goal has been 405 right now. I mentioned, you know, 285. You're not just going to immediately go to 405 and, and try to try to do it right. You, you've got to start small. So there's a, there's a, that study, uh, oh, I can't remember if it was Stephen Geist or who, which, which guy wrote the book about the, the one push up challenge. Like he, he was, he kept wanting to, his goal was to work out like for an hour every day. And he could, and he could never do it. So then he finally changed his goal to doing one push up a day, which seems ridiculous, right? I mean, like you know, five years ago, I would have, I would have looked at that and been like, that's, that's ridiculous. Like you know, seriously, one push up. But what happens is, when you, what what happens when you get down in, in a push up stance and you do a push up? Well, it's like, okay, well, I'm already down here. I might as well do ten more. And then, okay, now I've done 11 push-ups, so I might as well do another set of 10. And then, oh, you know, I've already been working out for five minutes. I might as well, you know, and that, so that one push-up will lead to bigger things and will, it will lead you to doing, to, to, to changing your behavior in, in other ways. And then you get to the end of the workout. You've worked out for 30 minutes. You think, yeah, you know, I worked out 30 minutes. I'm going to eat a healthy meal now. You know, and I need to go to bed early because, you know, I'm, I'm tired and I, I need the rest and I need to recover. And, and the other cool thing about it is let's say you're, you're laying in bed and you've forgotten to work out that, that and it's 10 o'clock. It's pretty easy. It's very little willpower to roll out of bed and do one push up. And in your brain, you check that off as a win, right? And that's, that's another super important thing is to, is to give your brain these little victories Instead of, I mean, we beat ourselves up enough in our lives. You know, the, we, the last thing we need is like, oh, I'm such a failure. You know, I, I ate uh, uh, some ice cream today and I, I, I ate a Twinkie and my life is over. Yeah, <laughs> like I ate a Twinkie. I might as well just, you know, go jump off a bridge or something, you know. So, <laughs> but it's like the, giving your brain these tiny little victories will eventually, like you talked about earlier with those neural patterns, that will strengthen those neural patterns instead of, you know, just just cutting them off completely, and and you deciding you're going to just go off and do do something else that's that's completely anti, you know, what what your goal was in the first place. Mm-hmm. No, I yeah. talk about that all the time. I mean, especially like even when it comes down to programming. I mean, we've talked about it on the show numerous times. There was like a stint there for four years or whatever that I never missed a deadlift rep. And when it came to competition, I had no doubt in my head. You know, right. it just just wasn't there. All I knew was I go up and pick it up. It always happens. Right. You know? yeah. yeah. And you know, it, it's trained that way. People that you know, like I said, going back to programming, trained that people that train to failure all the time as strength athletes, at least in my opinion, they're doing themselves a disservice. Whereas if you always train yourself, you know, even if it's lighter that day, you're having a bad day. What I just go to what you can. You know? Right. And it's okay. But I mean, you your mind gets behind that. If all you know is making it. It, it bleeds into your mentally. You, right. It's just what you know. After yeah, it's like when you time. step up to the bar, you don't have that little voice in your head. Yeah, or it's gone. The, it's not the, there. The, well, the little voice in your head that used to be there, it might still be there, but it's so overpowered yes. by the, the, the success rate that it's, it's just like you don't even notice it. Yeah. So, you know, yeah. I, I think that's peripheral too. You mm-hmm. know, your peripheral nervous system, and I know where you're going. I remember you talking about that, Phil, because 
we've had some guests on before with similar ideas like don't teach yourself to fail don't teach your yeah. peripheral yeah. Ner- neuromuscular your peripheral nervous system what it's like to miss a rep mm-hmm. every yeah. rep comes to some fruition yes. you know it's 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 a neat idea i don't know it's cool yeah. Yeah. yeah, and that matches, I mean, Phil's talked to Ed Cohen a lot, too, about just, you know, watching the way you know, a lot of the greats train, you know, it's, you don't see them, or at least from the people I've talked to, and you guys can chime in, I don't see them missing a lot of weights all the time and being extremely successful with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It yeah. doesn't seem to work that way. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah, like Phil says, but, you know, borrow what works, and that's that seems to be a a cool strategy, you know, yeah. and, and you know, a lot of this also, we talk about, you know, you're talking about willpower and we're talking about biopsychosocial and this sort of thing. But with the coffee research that I've done, I'm not going to get into that except to say that it does make you sort of drill down. Like where does, where does neuroplasticity or neural pathways meet psychology? And yeah. I, I, that's what I like about what you're saying. You're sort of forging stronger connections uh, it's not just about you know beating yourself up or willpower or this or that. It's there's there's a, a biological component here that makes things sort of easier, I guess, as you go along. You know, hence right. hence the habit sort of thing. Right. But, you know, because like well, I, I was really getting to this with we are asking people how alert they felt, for example, and things that are more perceptual, uh, prefrontal decision making, that sort of stuff. And then at what point does this enter like? you know send a message to the motor cortex and then down the descending tracks to the peripheral nervous system you know what i mean where does it go from thought to biological structure you know it's right. it, it's sort of almost metaphysical when i think about this like where does that thought how does that thought originate and then become electrical and then start this cascade if that makes yeah. any sense you know yeah yeah and there's an analogy that i like to to give to people it's like when you're you're going to try to start a you have a goal and you're going to try to create habits to reach that goal imagine that you're you've got a bike and you're at the bottom of like a, a fairly steep hill right so like you you start at it initially it's it's a lot of hard work to 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 get going up that hill and it, and at first and then in the first you know week in the first two weeks in the first month if you stop pedaling you're still on the pretty steep incline. You're going to revert back to where you were very quickly, right? Whereas if you can keep pedaling, keep pedaling, keep pedaling, get sort of where the hill is starting to crest, then you're not having to pedal as far. Or if you if you you revert back and you and you don't do the behavior, you, you're not reverting back at, at a, as steep of an incline, right? So then you get to the top of the hill, and now you hardly have to pedal at all, and then eventually where we want to get to with our habits and the things that we want to do every day because we know they're healthy or they're going to increase our, our wellness or our, our, our uh, quality of life, whatever it is, you're on the downhill slope and you're not even having to pedal. You're not even have to work. And so that's mm-hmm. where we want to get. That's where, uh, you know, when you get in your car and you put it in reverse and you back up, you, you're on the downhill slope of that action because you don't, you know, you don't really have to think about putting the car, the keys in and doing, and it's, you know, it's kind of interesting exercise. Uh, my, uh, my keyless entry went out of my car uh, several months ago and it was just, it was kind of an interesting, uh, little, you know, study here because I would, I had to start using my key to actually put the key. Did you know that you could do that? You could put your key in the car, in the car door 
and unlock it. It's amazing. You don't <laughs> right. have to use. Yeah, it's crazy. Our crazy. Our, our kids are going to be like, wait a second, you actually. You had to have keys to start the yeah. car. You know, there's, everything's just in your pocket. You know, Mark, and, l- l- can I pause just for a sec? Yeah I, yeah, I was out at the big Metrex headquarters uh, when – I don't even think it's still out in Irvine. I don't even know where it is now. But I was I was in the car with Scott Connolly, and some people recognize that name, but, you know, behind the Metrex protein powders and all yeah. that. And I just chalked it up to him being so wealthy, but he, he couldn't make that step that you just mentioned. I, I had a rental rental car. <laughs> he, he didn't know like his keyless entry wouldn't work, and he was like, "Well, we can't go anywhere." Yeah, I, I had a rental car. Then you had to put the key in the door, and he's like, uh, <laughs> "He goes, I, I don't know, figure this out, Lonnie. What the hell is going on? It's not letting me in." <laughs> oh, but it kind of well, shows you yeah. like what you're saying. You know, I don't know. It's funny. Well, and so so yeah, so I've been after like two or three months of having to do that. I got my. I finally went and paid the stupid you know money or whatever to get the keyless entry fixed. Well, you know how many times I set my alarm off because I would just mindlessly walk up to my car and stick the key in and open the door without disengaging the alarm? And it took me like three weeks to to re-engage that, that neural pattern to, okay, don't stick the key in the hole. What, you get the right? thing out and you unlock the thing. So, uh, yeah, I, have to, I think I'll share a little airhead moment that I had to uh, – you know, this is kind of uh, not – completely on point but back when uh like i started using a credit card to for every all my purchases and i you know then i just pay the credit card off and you know you get you know their cash rewards and all that stuff well the first few times that i would do that this is several years ago so the first few times i would do that like i would get gas for instance and it would ask for your zip code well the first few times i did that i was in i was next to my house so i just put in the zip code of where i was right well there were, I mean, for like probably two months, and I, I shouldn't probably even share this. I would be like out of town or, you know, across in a different part of town, and it would ask for my zip code. And I would be like, how the hell am I supposed to know what the zip code is here? <laughs> <laughs> like, and so I, I remember one time, like, I look, I called the little partner. I was like, what's the zip code here? And she was like, oh, 74892. And like, I put it in, and it didn't work, you know, because it wasn't my billing zip code. And I was like, stupid pump. Like so, I, that's the, that's that's one of my uh, that's probably one of my biggest airhead moments I've ever done. Then finally, I was like, "Oh, it's asking for my zip code, idiot!" Yeah. So. The unconscious programming you're saying too, right? I don't know if anyone's seen the um, the video where they they put a gear on how you turn just an old pedal bike. Oh, I've seen so, that. That is crazy. Yeah, so it's, it's backwards, right? So, so you when you turn, turn left, it, the wheel goes right. Yeah. Right. And so the this guy gives lectures on this and he's like, I'll pay you I don't know how many hundreds of dollars if you can get on this bike and ride it just across the stage. And of course everyone looks at it because you consciously think, Oh yeah, I can override it's a bike. Yeah. Override. It's a bike. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And everyone gets on it and they just like nobody can do it initially. <laughs> and so he then went through the process of teaching himself how to ride it. And it took, took him like nine months, months or something. Yeah. Yeah. But he could teach his kid how to do it. I think it was like in a few weeks. Yeah. Um, so it's fascinating how. Well, then he got back so- on after he learned how to, how to ride that bike. He got back on a regular bike and couldn't yes. ride it. Right. Yeah. And so yeah. to me, that's all fascinating and a little bit similar was an old study where they put a pair of glasses on people that inverted everything in their world. So oh, basically gosh. flipped everything upside down. 
What's fascinating is after about two weeks, they had the glasses still on, and their world just flipped back to normal. Yeah. Right? You interact with your world, you figure out which way it is. And so their brain flips the image. And so what the researcher did, which is brilliant, all right, take the glasses off. Now with the glasses off, everything's upside down again for about another two weeks till the brain flips it back around again. <laughs> yeah. 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 You know what this uh, says to me is if you have a, a bad habit in the squat or, you know, you're trying to learn some nope. nuance of a motor skill – Give yourself some patience. This is not just right. psychology. I mean, acute. It's not just acute, right. you know, override like you said, Mike. It's it's. I have to lay down some pathways here, and this is going to take repeated firing until I can entrench these things, you know, and yeah, make and them more automatic. Like those things you get into, you know, because of the old habits you've done. Let's say in the squat in your daily life. You actually have, you know, tissue that's responded to being in that pathway oh, mm. that further pushes you back there, right? Because you may not have the muscular capability, much less coordination or mobility or whatever, to do the thing that you're trying to do. Mm -hmm. you Form know? follows so function. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's, there's no doubt. Again, it just makes me think along, you know, those kinds of lines and what Mark's saying about habits, too, you know, so... Uh, and again, I think it's a good reason to have a strength coach so you can get those external cues. And because you might, if you're not aware of these things, you keep firing the pathway, like you said, you build the downstream tissue, and you know it almost starts with awareness. Like it, to me, it's amazing. And yes. that's like when I teach strength conditioning, I always have a strength coach around because I am not a coach. You know, I'm a physiologist, I'm a nutritionist, so I can talk about the adaptations. But as far as seeing cues in other people. That's a real skill. That requires a lot of experience. Oh, totally. You know, so like like you videotape. You know, you have people videotape from the right angles, Mike, and that kind of stuff. You know, because otherwise, you don't. If you're not aware of the habit, you keep screwing up, and then you get all frustrated. You're in a plateau, and you can't make any gains. And you know, sometimes yeah. it, it just starts with uh, some awareness, I guess. Uh, you know, don't go out and just try to learn golf. You know, you need a coach. Yeah to teach you golf because if you go out and then you, you play golf for a year and you don't know what you're doing, well then now you've got to like back out all of those motor patterns and re restart. It's like learning the language kind of deal. Like you've got to completely re relearn it as if you would just, you know, it's, it's so much better. That's why I like, especially like with kids, like if you can just keep kids from ever learning those bad habits, you know, as far as from the, from a movement perspective and from, from a, just a lifestyle perspective, you can just, you get where like, you know, your kids just don't have, you know, crap food in the house all the time. That's just, then that, that's all they know. You know, like our, our kids, like when we, when the sun goes down, we turn off all the big overhead lights and we've got these little orange dim lights all around the house. Like that's just what, they know that's just that there's no like will that you know it's like not affecting their that their glasses are upside you know their their eyes are seeing the upside yeah. down glasses the right way right that's just what they see and and that's just yeah if you can start out uh, you know doing things the right way man that's that's always ideal you know there's an old saying uh that i used to hear in in martial arts training which was when under stress we revert to our training and yes, that's what this that's what this is because there's no time to think about it. Like making this uh, directly applicable to some of the powerlifters that listen or the strongmen that listen to the podcast. Uh, 
that's why you practice the correct motor pattern again and again and again. I remember back in high school, I wasn't very good at it. We didn't have good equipment, and frankly, I wasn't the best anyway. But uh, my strength, my uh, track coach used to never let me pole vault tired. He'd say, "Lowry, stop! Don't yeah. don't practice pole vaulting tired. You're firing the wrong motor patterns." And this guy was no physiologist. I'll tell you, he was just sort of a you know average dude, but he knew that you know and. Yeah. It makes a lot of sense, right, that you do revert to your training because you've got these – essentially, you just launch the pathway. Like when you walk up a set of stairs, you don't think, you know, flex my rectus femoris and then, you know, engage <laughs> yeah. the soleus. And Autonomous. you just – yeah, you just launch the motor go pathway, go up the stairs. And I, the same well, thing would be true, I, I, I'm sure, in the bench or squat, you know, uh, or any one of these athletic movements, you so, or pole vaulting, whatever. You kind of yeah. launch the pathway. um because you've you've laid that down with repetition, repetition, repetition. I guess. Well, and think about it, like from a coaching perspective. Like, let's say you're 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 working with a an athlete that you know they've got some some dysfunction in their squat, you know, movement or whatever it is, and you and you sort of you create you you fix that dysfunction. You've got the you've got them doing it correct, like with with an unloaded squat, and then you're going to start loading them. Well, you know, how many times like if they're doing a set of eight or. 10 you get to that ninth or 10th rep what happens they they're under stress they revert back mm -hmm. to yep. their old to their old pattern and that yeah that's that that happens a lot yeah that's very common and you know one little thing i've been playing around with for a couple of years now actually several years is looking at if i'm doing a session with someone for you know, mobility movement analysis whatever can i make a change to their like you guys are saying their autonomous programming and gait or walking is probably the biggest one, right? So if I do a gait analysis, just simple stuff, you know, no lab equipment, and I can get them to move better, I feel like I've given them a better chance of changing other pathways too, yes. right? And if they're squatting, you'd have to, you know, see how they squat and things of that nature because that's important to them. But to me, I think that's a good way to evaluate the changes you're trying to make because I want to know, am I getting at those autonomous pathways faster and not just having them sort of consciously think about it, right? And so people are like, oh, but I could, you know, try to walk better and fix it. Like, you can, but it looks bad. And if you distract them and tell them to walk a little faster, they can't hold it, right? Mm -hmm. Because walking right. is pretty complex. They have to default to their autonomous programming. Yeah, Phil so I always talks like about to see, that. Can I make a change in that? Because that gives me a pretty good idea that whatever it was I just did is probably more effective at creating lasting change than just something like, oh, stretch your hamstrings, you're good now. Eh. <laughs> well, and that, and that goes to even like getting people to, to understand, you know, neutral ribcage, neutral uh, yep. pel pelvis. It's like when I work with people, I, I, I teach them that just standing there. So like yes. every time you every time you're standing in line at the grocery store, every time you're standing anywhere doing anything, think about neutral hips, you know, neutral pelvis, neutral rib cage, get your head stacked over your shoulders, like getting that that sort of this this perfect, you know, normal position, which isn't normal anymore. And then it's like and I'd say you you're gonna have to every time you you you're gonna have to think about it, you're gonna okay, feet under my hips and I'm getting my hips, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna turn my glutes on a little bit, I'm gonna turn my rib cage down, I'm gonna, I'm gonna tighten my core up a little bit, I'm gonna get my head back. Eventually, you don't have to think about doing that. And then when you're in the weight room, if that, if your hips, you know, uh, you know, overextend or your, your rib cage extends or something, you immediately feel it 
And then, you know, you've got your proprioceptors all, you know, it, you know kind of moving all in the same direction. And, and so it's, yeah, that's what, it's kind of the same deal. Like if you can just get people out of the gym when they're doing regular stuff to, to get where this is just how they move, that makes it so much easier when you get them in the gym and you start, you know, putting weight on them. All right, good points. Yeah, and one quick comment on that too. So the one thing I've been playing around with, especially lately again on your comment there, is if we believe that the body is always seeking efficiency yeah. and that in some way for that person with their anterior pelvic tilt, their head back, and all the things that we would say is not quote-unquote neutral, my thought is that their body has to go to that position because that's the most efficient for them. Right. Right. So the next question is, how can I change that possibly mobility, drill, lifting, hands-on work, whatever, to change the more "quote unquote" correct pattern to be more efficient? And it seems that they will unconsciously drop into a better pattern without having to cue them all the time. If that yeah. makes sense. That yeah. fits along with with what Mark was saying about habits in general. You know what I mean? Like right, going, going right. downhill. Now you're coasting downhill a little. Yeah, because you created, you removed the effort, you know, to engage that. It, it becomes more efficient, you know. And then your, and your brain, speaking of efficiency, you know, your brain is, is a master of efficiency. It's going, and it's going to strengthen and it's going to, to put resources towards positions and movements that you do a lot. So if you're constantly in a flex, yeah, if you're constantly in a flex position, like your your body's eventually going to say, okay, well, uh, I guess this is the position we need to be in. I mean, that's like that's all muscle atrophy is. You put a cast on your arm, you, you you're not, uh, you know, your muscle, your, your arm doesn't shrink necessarily because there's a cast on your arm. Your arm is shrinking because you're not using it, and your brain is like, well, I'm not going to put, I'm not going to put any resources down that arm because it's not being used. I'm going to put it somewhere else where it can be used, and so. If you if you reinforce initially using willpower those correct positions, your body will then reinforce physically reinforce those positions, and then those become the positions that are more most efficient, which you default to. Right on. Yes. Yep. No, I agree. I think it's you can go both ways, right? And the reality is, people need some mix of both. Right. right. What are the things we can do with you now to get your body to be more efficient in gait or whatever patterns we want? But if we allow you then to just go back to your horrible position, you know, you're just going to reinforce, you know, the wrong thing. Right. You know, so I, I tried a couple of things lately where I got someone moving quite a bit better, and I told them to do their lifts actually without any cues at all, thinking that if they're moving that much better, maybe the cue is actually making them move dysfunctional. That's huh. kind of based on some Doug Heel stuff. Um, so far, that kind of seems to be true. Right, yeah. so if we're cueing them, granted, external cues are probably better than internal cues. You know, internal cue, feel your lat. External cue, you know, pull your elbow down. I think sometimes we get too cute, even in, as coaches, trying to push people into what we think is "quote unquote" perfect form, when they just their body just structurally and mentally can't quite handle that. So we have to, you know, regress it back down to what they can. You can get in your own head. You know, oh, yeah. you, you start thinking about, okay, I'm doing this, my elbow's here, and then my neck's back, and then, you know, it's just like the difference between panicking, and you know, a lot of people think that panicking and choking, especially like when you think of it like in sports, is like the same thing, but it's, it's the, they're, the, they're the opposite things. Panicking is when you're not thinking, choking is when you're thinking too much, you know. Yeah. Right. That's something that Phil always goes on about, too. There's no time to think about, 
you know, fire this, straighten up here, uh, right. you know, fire that when you're, when you have, you know, a 90% or greater load on your back. Yeah, and yeah. I, I was just going to make a comment about the internal stuff too. We're just about out of time here, but, uh, bodybuilders, they do that internal thing a lot, that whole mind in the muscle idea. Right. Uh, they're not, they're not as movement centric. They're muscle centric. And yeah. that's, in a lot of ways, that's a little bit more internal. And I think in some ways, maybe that's why you can see some amazing bodybuilders. They're really not that athletic because it doesn't oh, yeah. translate but externally, the but they get that mind in the muscle. I mean, look at some of those old videos of Tom Platts with him bouncing in the bottom of a, of a chin or, you know, and dumbbell flies or something. And I mean, that guy has gone inside, you know, yeah. <laughs> and it's, but it's, it's kind of impressive too. It's just, it, yeah. it looks a little odd externally maybe, but yeah. Anyway. <laughs> Cool. cool. What's well, great stuff there, Mark? And if people are listening, where can they find out more about you? Yeah, so the website is simplyhumanlifestyle.com. Uh, and the, on iTunes and Stitcher, the podcast is just the Simply Human Podcast. So, uh, yeah, we, and I'm also the co host of, of something called the Alt Shift podcast which is a nutritional uh protocol uh it's it's not uh, not really for like powerlifters bodybuilders athletes it's more for like that that crowd that is like you know i'd say most of the listeners are like middle-aged moms you know just like people that are just trying to lose fat mm -hmm. and be healthy um so yeah so, so check it out good stuff yeah this was very entertaining i like listening to it it's good stuff awesome <laughs> well thanks for having me yeah it's fun to think yeah, about yeah thanks for being on Okay, everybody, uh, we'll see you next week. See you guys. Hey, listeners, have you seen the store at ironradio.org? There are three halls in the store, one for Phil, one for Fortress, and one for myself, Dr. Lowry, and they're thematic. So you can go into our Halls of Iron store and choose based on your goal. If you need something to learn or read or something nutritional, you can look in my store, uh, Lonnie's store. If you want something about injury prevention uh, or competition, then take a look at Phil's Hall of Iron. And if you want something about motivation or daily training, Fortress's Hall has what you're looking for. There are some fun heroic descriptors uh, as you browse through the stores. We try to make it a little more fun than the average boring online store. And whether you're a novice lifter or someone more experienced, you can take heart that you're not wasting your time. The things that we put in each hall of iron are actually based on our own recommendations. Protein powders that we know to be good. Uh, knee sleeves. Wraps of some kind. Things that Fortress uses in his own training. Uh, the stuff you, you see, you know is good. This way you don't waste time. So check out the Iron Radio store at ironradio.org. And um, let us know what you think on the forums. And certainly you can request products and we will uh, screen them before they go in. So thanks for listening. Iron Radio is accepting donations. If you like what we do, the professors, the scientists, the bodybuilding show promoters, the athletes themselves in powerlifting and bodybuilding. Um, please consider making a donation or maybe buying something from the ironradio.org uh, store. Uh, we also are accepting supporting members. 
So for $4 a month, which is frankly less than the bank sneaks out of your account in fees, you can step up and support a form of sort of public radio for the bodybuilding and powerlifting and strength community. The Iron Radio Podcast and all of the audio on ironradio.org is for informational purposes only. If you're interested in starting a diet or exercise program, it's important to check with your physician. Also seek the help of registered dietitians, athletic trainers, and qualified exercise physiologists in order to make the progress that you need.